I'm struck with the thought sometimes that people today, or perhaps people, no matter when they have lived in their segment of time, think that their time is totally unique, that it's not like any other time, that what's happening in our day has never happened before, nothing like it has ever happened. Well, I suppose that there's a level of truth to that. It's a unique time, and yet it's also not completely true. Things have happened before. Not only that, but we have a tendency to think that our time is actually the worst of times. You know, Dickens, these are the best of times and the worst of times, and Christians typically, at least of the 20 and 21st century, believe that these are the worst of times. Often I'll hear somebody say, you know, boy, the Lord has got to come back today or tomorrow because things can't possibly get worse. Well, all of those evaluations in their extreme are not true. Believe it or not, there have been times worse than these times. And things can get worse. Wow, isn't this exciting? Glad I came today. Right. But I'm not, not going on the trajectory of the negative, but I say all that to say that when we look at the church at Antioch, when we look at the church at Antioch today, we're going to see some things that, wow, not so different than our own day. And I hope that we'll see some characteristics of the church of Antioch that say, hey, I think we ought to be more like that church over 2,000 years ago. So that's what's happening today. Let me bring you up to speed. Pretty much strictly Bible study today. I'm looking for those, you know, energizing, inspirational, motivational illustrations and not happening today. I just like Bible. In fact, that's motivation enough for me personally. I just thrive on it. So I've got about 15 pages of notes. And I want us to dig in. First, I'm going to pray. Then I'm going to set the context. Who is this? I never heard. Where's the letter to Antioch? I've heard of Ephesians and Corinthians and Thessalonica, but I'm, I, my Bible doesn't have a letter of Antioch. No, it's not there. We don't have any letters. But we do have a city, we do have a church, and we're going to look at it today from Acts 11. But let's pray. Lord, um, you know my heart today, filled with personal motivations. I pray, Lord, that you'd take those motivations and trash them. And insert, substitute, in place of that your own desires for this church that we would receive the word deeply in our hearts as into fertile soil that it would grow and bear fruit that it would bear much fruit and that that fruit would remain would you do that according to your good pleasure bringing glory to yourself I pray in Jesus name amen okay so here's what's happening in the first century um, of course, we know the life of Christ, 
pretty much, let's take care of about 30 years. I'm not really concerned that you know the chronology or dates, but I'm just trying to give somewhat of a framework. So after that, the church is trying to figure itself out there in Jerusalem, and up pops this uh, persecuting character named Paul. And he's being sent out by the religious leaders of the day to not only persecute the, the Christians who are in and around Jerusalem, but he's sent on journeys like to Damascus in Syria, which is some couple of hundred miles north of Jerusalem. And, and so he's doing that and persecuting the church. And, and God saves him and brings him into the church and then sends him home. His home is in eastern Turkey today. Um, he is Paul of Tarsus. And uh, if you looked at a map today, that's in eastern Turkey. And the church of Jerusalem, when they found out he came to know the Lord, said, well, you're the guy that was persecuting the church. We're a little nervous having you around. We're not too sure about you. So what we'd like you to do is go home and just kind of cool it there for a while. Well, I don't think they really said cool it. Maybe he was supposed to go home and be a little more tested. But this is the Apostle Paul. Back home to Tarsus he goes for 14 years until after the stoning of Stephen took place in the 30s. And the stoning of Stephen took place and the church in Jerusalem was scattered. And one of the places that they located is this city of Antioch. Oh, approximately 100, I'm going to say 60, 70 miles north of Jerusalem, near the coast of the Mediterranean, not far from a river called Orontes. The river Orontes kind of did a upside down uh, a candy cane hook came in from the Mediterranean and then went down towards the Sea of Galilee. And uh, you could navigate that river. And so right there on that river was the city of Antioch, some maybe by first century world, 500,000 population there that lived there. And of the 500,000, at least 70,000 Jews. In fact, Josephus called Antioch uh, the third city of the empire behind Rome and Alexandria claimed that Antioch was the next biggest, most populous city. It, it was a multicultural. It was a port city. So you can imagine all the things that were coming from uh, the western part of Mediterranean, say of Italy or of Greece, moving eastward and all the eastward India and Asia on this side they would come together whether it's sailing across the Mediterranean or across land through Asia Antioch became a pivotal city in the region and so to plant a church there was very very important now Acts chapter 5 just by way of context I'll just flip over there really quickly 541 helps us out with a little bit of the uh, atmosphere of the day because in Acts 5.41, this is what the Bible says about the Christians, then they left the presence of the council, that is, um, disciples, Peter and John and others, then they left the presence of the council after being persecuted. You see, after being persecuted. This is the environment of the day in Jerusalem. 
after they left the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for his name. That's a unique thing. These people who will go elsewhere, will be scattered abroad, will be a part of the diaspora, the Jewish spreading out, where people who are rejoicing. Turn over another couple of pages to Acts chapter 8 and verse 1. And uh, again, still setting up the, the context just a little bit, we see here. And Saul, this says, 8-1, and Saul approved of his execution. Whose execution? Stephen. If we were to go back in the previous paragraph, we would see that Stephen was stoned. And so now this Saul, who would later be the Apostle Paul, approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. The apostles stayed there. Now, to the book of Acts then. This apostle Paul, he was sent home. While he's sent home, there are other apostles still operating in the land, like the apostle Peter. In fact, in the chapter just before this one, that is the chapter just before chapter 11, chapter 10 of the book of Acts, is the story of Peter. Peter falling asleep on the roof and seeing in a vision that animals were being let down on his sheep. And he took a look at these animals, and these animals were unclean. That is, they were not kosher. A Jewish person keeping the law should not eat these animals. And yet, there was a voice from heaven that said, Peter, arise and eat. And Peter, being Peter, even when God is speaking, says, nah, not me. And so God sends it back down again like this and says, arise and eat. And Peter says, got the wrong man, not me. Now, that's all buzz paraphrase. Don't look for it. Okay? It comes down a third time. And Peter, Peter seems to work in threes, doesn't he? Yeah, he, he does, doesn't he? And okay, and these men came from the house of Cornelius. And oh, and the light starts to go on. I'm supposed to go to this Gentile's house where I'm not supposed to go, but I went. And all of a sudden we see here, now I'm talking about the book of Acts, we see the final stage of the table of contents, so to speak, of the book of Acts. If you want the table of contents, you would go to Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. But you shall receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, that's where it starts, phase 1, all of Judea, the region around it, phase 2, Samaria to the regions north, but still in Israel, and stage 4 to the remotest part of the earth. And so what's happening in Acts chapter 10 with Peter going to the house of Cornelius is the final stage, stage four, where we're going to the nations because Cornelius is a Gentile, not a Jew. Now we're going to the nations, which, by the way, may I say very quickly, the word in your New Testament translated Gentiles or nations is the Greek word ethne, where we get our word ethnic or ethnic groups. So whether it's Gentiles or nations, this is the fourth stage, and you're going out to it. Now, what we see at the beginning of, uh, of Acts 11, prior to getting to verse 19, where I want to actually begin looking at the church at Antioch, 
What we get is Peter going back to Jerusalem. Don't forget, breathe. I know I'm going fast. Come on. You guys got to love this. This is Bible, and this is good stuff. At least I like it. So, so he was in Joppa, which is on the coast. Then he goes to the Gentile home of Cornelius, and they come to know the Lord. And the Holy Spirit descends on that house. And it appears that God has opened the door to the gospel to the Gentiles, to the nations. Okay, now wait a minute. That's Peter. Now he's got to go back to Jerusalem and report. And everybody's not so sure about this. Even the apostles, and they have a little meeting about this. And Peter testifies to them saying, God has surely opened the door to the Gentiles the same as he has done for us. Wow. Now, get this. This becomes the biggest issue, the biggest question, the biggest challenge, the biggest theological controversy of the young church, of the first century church. This whole issue about Gentiles coming in. Okay, well, I can begin to see about Gentiles coming in, but my question then would be... Um, don't they have to keep the law of Moses in order to come in? Don't they have to be circumcised in, in order to come in? Don't they have to keep the cultural traditions that we have had for literally hundreds and hundreds of years in order to come in? This is the theological question of the day. And when we get to Antioch, and the establishment of a church outside of Jerusalem, we get to see a church tangling with challenge. We get to see a church struggling with theological issues. We get to see a church... All right, I'm going to throw it in there. Prepare yourself. We get to see a church trying to figure out what leadership in the church looks like. What it means to be a church. What it means to deal with transition in the life of a church. Now you begin to see why I picked Antioch and my introduction. Oh, we think today what's happening to us is unique. We think today that this has never happened before. Now, we don't really say that, I know. But in our experience, in our emotions, we go, what's going on? I don't know what's going on. Well, this is crazy. I don't know what's happening here. What, 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 what? As if it's never happened before. And it's happened many times before. What I want us to look into is what the Word of God says about the church of Antioch. And I would ask you, don't listen to Buzz today. It's, you know, I've really just gone through here. Maybe I'll phrase them in the way that I do. But if you can't see it in the Bible, then throw it out, okay? Let's take a look. Beginning in verse 19 of Acts chapter 11. Um, I really do. It's long. Would you bear with me? It's good to read the Word. I want to read all the way through this, all the way down to, to verse 30. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution... All right, there it is. Come on, tune it in. I need you to get this today. 
Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. Now what that basically means is all the way up the Mediterranean coast, just all the way up north of Jerusalem, all along the coast, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Whoa. Interesting. Keep going. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. This is Antioch. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, home church back in the big city. And they sent, they, the church of Jerusalem, sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit of faith, and great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now I'm going to stop there. I said all the way, but that's where I want to stop. Now I want to look at this passage of Scripture and just point out a few of the characteristics that I see here in this church going on that's being revealed. Because you've got to ask yourself the question. I, mean, I know that this is narrative. I know that this is history. But you still have to ask yourself, do you not? If this is the Word of God, which we believe it to be, inspired by the Holy Spirit, then God has put it here for a purpose. Now, what's that purpose? That's what we're asking ourselves. Not just that it's a story, but God, why do you want us to know the story? And so we take a look. First of all, then it's very clear that this church flourished under persecution. This church flourished under persecution. We live in a society and in a culture which all persecution is bad. It's just wrong. We should never be in pain. We should never be in poverty. We should never be pressured. It's terrible. Oh, pastor, we know that that's not true. Do we really? What kind of conversation goes on around the, the, the water cooler, so to speak? I tell you, uh, this week, and I don't do it often, and I was reminded why I don't do it often, we live in a different realm of this social media. Why we have so many brave cowards, by the way, that's an oxymoron. That's an oxymoron, right? We have so many brave cowards who will say things in private over some level of social media that they would never dare say to a person to their face. And the language and the, uh, the, the vitriol that is being spread is unprecedented. First of all, we do not need to overestimate religious persecution. Well, you just heard me waxing eloquent about 
the terrible things that are going on there. And this world is going to hell in a handbasket. And if we, don't, if we won't get the Ten Commandments back in the church and prayer back in the, back in the schools, why, we're just going to go down. And we're being persecuted by this world. Folks, let's not overestimate persecution. Why we in America barely know what persecution might look like. I was in Chad, as you know, and um, dealing with some of the leaders there, we were just sitting around the dinner table having conversation. And one of the leaders of the evangelical church in Chad, this is in Central Africa, they don't have anything, folks. Nobody takes a vacation to Chad. It just, it doesn't happen. And we were sitting around the dinner table, and you're going to find this odd. They were actually extending to me pity. They were actually extending to me some level of sorrow for me. They said, because you have so many things in America to distract you. You have so many luxuries that we do not have. All we have are the hardships of this life. We were actually discussing a funeral. And I shouldn't have mentioned that because it's a long thing. But the families there would spend days, yea, even maybe weeks in the celebration of a life. And it was a responsibility of the family to be a participant in the funeral. This, I, I hate to say this, that's almost what they do for entertainment. No, they don't do it for entertainment. No, they don't. They don't do it for entertainment. That's their life. Where we go and search for things of entertainment, they are so connected to family that they suffer together. That's their interaction. That's so foreign to you and me. We think that's just weird. Of course, I'm the one that's using the word entertainment. Nobody else would dare do that. We don't need to overestimate persecution in America. We don't have any understanding of what it is. But folks, the flip side of that coin is we don't need to underestimate it either. We don't need to underestimate persecution in America. We don't. We are being censored today. We're being ridiculed. It actually is the definition of persecution, to be belittled for the things that you believe in. The only reason that we're, come on, come on, wake back up. The only reason we're not more persecuted is that we don't identify ourselves as Christians more. The only reason we're not more persecuted is because we don't identify ourselves as Christians. It's another point that we're going to see in Antioch. So let's press on, shall we? Secondly, first, the church at Antioch flourished under religious persecution. But secondly, the church at Antioch wrestled and conquered racial diversity. Look at verses 20 through 24. But there were some of them men of Cyprus and Cyrene. And oh, by the way, do you know where Barnabas was from? Do you know where Barnabas was from? Barnabas was Cyrene. Ladies and gentlemen, Barnabas was black. 
And there should be an entire whole sermon on the character of Barnabas in the verses that follow after this. You know, it's very, very, infre- very, very, very infrequent that the Bible calls a man a good man. A good man. And Barnabas is called a good man in this. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who, on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists. Now, who are those? Those are the Greeks. Helen is the Greek word for Greek. Now, whether they were Greek Jews or just Greek Greeks, we're not really sure. Probably mixed. Probably mixed. Because the Jews of the day indeed did speak Greek. So they spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The church at Antioch wrestled and conquered racial diversity. Hmm. Well, preacher, you can just move on because all you've got to do is look around here and you can see that we're not bigoted in this place. Folks, this is what I would declare to you. I'll do it this way because I am on a soapbox going on vacation. <laughs> That's what you do. You say bad stuff, Sean, and then you go on vacation and get out of town. See, buddy. I'm thrilled we've begun working really hard showing diversity on the platform here, praying to God that he would raise up people in diverse ethnic groups for leadership positions more and more and more in the life of our church. Folks, we have not conquered ethnic diversity. We haven't. And we need to desperately do that. I'm glad to call Russ Moore, a friend of mine, had a few conversations with him. And Russ Moore has written an article about how to teach our children this. But for right now, in the context of this sermon, it's certainly applicable to all of us, including the adults. So he's saying in this article about teaching our children, teach them what the Bible says about ethnic diversity. Scripture isn't silent when it comes to God's design for ethnic diversity. Embedded in the gospel is God's plan to reconcile to himself a people of every ethnic group in the world. Christ's bride is a beautiful, multicolored bride. It's vital to teach our kids these truths. One familiar passage is Revelation 5.9. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you, worthy, he's talking to the Lord Jesus, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. If we want to show the world a picture of the full biblical gospel and the life of eternity to come, then we need to reach the nations. And by the way, folks, the nations have moved here. The nations have moved here. (laughs) You know, in the 60s, we used to be preaching young people, and we still should, don't get me wrong, but we used to preach young people college students hear the great call of God hear the great commission of the Lord Jesus 
and go to the nations. And there were great inspirational times and orchestras would play and the banners would march trying to instill inspiration and people to go to the nations with the gospel. And it was a, a bit of a challenge, but we had times and it, it grew slowly. And this is not true, but I, I take it in my sarcasm. And God says, that didn't work. Maybe what I need to do is make it easier for them. You know what I'm going to do? I apologize. I shouldn't be speaking. You know what I'm going to do? Instead of them having to go to the nations, I'm going to bring the nations to them. And then they'll see the value of it. And then they'll go to the neighborhoods that are around their churches. I'll bring the nations to them, and that'll make it easier for them. And surely then they'll do it. The church at Antioch wrestled with it wasn't a piece of cake. Oh, well, that's a church in the Bible. Sure, a church in the Bible is going to have an easy road to this. That's not what the text reveals. If you look at it a little closer when it says that they went from Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch speaking the word to no one except the Jews. And then the next word is, but there were. I can't exaggerate that word, but. The tone of what is going on here is they were speaking just to Jews, but they shouldn't have been. And why were they? Now, I've got to be careful here. I can't go in between the lines of this text and add what's really not here. But you can't, ladies and gentlemen, People are people of all generations and years. And you can believe that when these started to want to join the First Baptist Church of Antioch, some guys around here going, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm not sure I want those kind in here. You know, the next thing you know, they're going to take over the church. And I don't want our church to turn that color. You can be sure that that butt represents some conflict going on there. And the hand of the Lord was with them. Who was it? If you look at the antecedent, it's the people who are preaching to the nations. If you look at the antecedent of the word them, and you read it again, you see, but there were some Cyprus, Cyprus, Cyrene, who on the coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, the other people, the ones outside, also preaching the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was with them. This, oh, wait a minute, maybe more. And this report came to the ears of the church of Jerusalem. What report? Just that people are coming to know the Lord? Oh, I don't think so. I think it's some of those other kind of people who are coming to know the Lord. Came to the ear of the people in Jerusalem. And so the people in Jerusalem sent a trusted good man full of the Holy Spirit named Barnabas to go check it out. I mean, it's important enough to travel some maybe 90 miles plus, 95, maybe maybe 120, I don't know, miles to send somebody else. You better go check that out. Better go check that out. go check that out. And so they sent Barnabas. 
The church at Antioch flourished under religious persecution, and the church at Antioch wrestled and conquered with racial diversity. And the church at Antioch was clearly identified. Look at the next verse or so about Barnabas. I'd love to preach a sermon on Barnabas, but I'm not going to. But Barnabas went to Tarsus, got Saul, now 26, and when they had found him, he brought him to Antioch. Now here we go. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. The church at Antioch was clearly identified. You knew who was a Christian. You knew the members, may I, of the church at Antioch. They were clearly distinguishable, even in the midst of persecution. The biblical church will find it increasingly more difficult to communicate who they are in this world of ours for a couple of reasons. How many people outside of these walls right now, all around us, just think about it, you know Boynton Beach, communities north of us there, oh yeah, I know those, west, down, across the interstate, okay, south, that way, east, how many of them are wondering what's going on in here right now, and what they do? This church called the First Baptist Church of Boynton Beach and the church in America will find it increasingly more difficult to communicate who we are for two reasons. One, the continued political value that is placed upon it by those who seek to take advantage of associating with it. We'll find it more and more difficult to communicate who we are because of the political entities outside of us who want to take advantage of rubbing shoulders with us. They want to say, oh yeah, I belong to the First Episcopal Church. Oh yeah, I belong to First Baptist Boynton Beach. They want to rub shoulders with us. How would we feel if the governor wanted to be in here? How would we feel if the senators, congressmen wanted to be a member of our church? We will find it increasingly more difficult as political entities try and rub shoulders with us. But secondly, and maybe worse I might add, the untrained church members lack the gospel focus, the gospel-focused willingness to suffer rather than fight for tradition and moralism. I don't know what all that means, but I'll read it again and maybe unpack it. Untrained church members lack a gospel-focused willingness to suffer rather than fight for tradition and moralism. We have a tribe who would prefer to be known more for the Second Amendment, family gender identification, and even religious liberty more than people bought with the price of the blood of Jesus Christ who have no rights at all. We are a people, growing people, who prefer to be heard for what we think about gun rights or civil rights or religious rights or abortion rights 
or we're a people who want to make sure that the world knows what we think of gender and family issues and identity more than we are a people who want to be known for lovers of Jesus Christ. And we're becoming that. And because we're becoming that, we are going to be less and less and less identifiable. The church at Antioch was the place that they were first called Christian. And I'm beginning to wonder what town in America, oh, God forbid it to be Boynton Beach, will be the last town in America where the... Wasn't that a Christian group at one time? identifiable are we? John Stott wrote a wonderful book and highlighted this passage of scripture and one of these things he said in highlighting this is he says take a look at that verse 21 just a little bit closer and he said and a great number who believed turned to the Lord and what Stott said was, isn't that interesting? He did not say, and they became members of the First Baptist Church of Antioch. He wants to convey, not an overpoint, but in a slight point, we have become a nation of even when we bring people into the church, we want to puff it up and say, look the size of our church. I can't have a conversation with another pastor who doesn't want to know how many people are here. I don't have a communication out there in the world, Bible studies or out of the streets, people who want to know, you know, do you fill your building up every day? They always want to know about the numbers and how big and how prestigious the church is. This text says, and they were added to the Lord. I have a warning for pastors. Maybe some are watching. A warning for my colleagues, teachers back in the day. You hear it all the time. Pastors, now I'm just talking to them, not talking to you. You can listen in. We have a tendency to call these wonderful disciples of Christ my people. Let me tell you, I got a word from my people. I read in an article, this is what you need to tell your people. This is my student. Yeah, so-and-so was a student of mine. Warning pastors and teachers, they do not belong to you. They do not belong to you. They are not your people. This is not my church. They were added to the Lord. I'm finished talking to you all. I'm back to these folks. Thanks for that sidelight. Number four. The church was outward focused. Look at verses 27 and following. And in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold this by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. 
So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So Barnabas, who came up to check out and see what was going on, went up and got Saul, brought him down to Antioch. They taught for a year. And then Agabus comes from Jerusalem and prophesies that there's a great famine going on all over the world. And these people got together and prayed and said, man, we, got, we better start storing this stuff up. Man, we, bought a, we better, you know, shut some of the doors. Man, we, we better fill up our coffers. Would you please note with me where the famine was? What does the text say? The famine was all over the world. Certainly, at least by his understanding, it, it meant the Mediterranean world which included them. And what did they turn around and do? He said, wow, we better help somebody else. We better look outside of ourselves. We, we better be concerned about others before we're so concerned about us. I declare to you that the church at Antioch was outward focused. And that is far, ladies and gentlemen, that is far from the conduct of the typical church in America. We want to know what it is in for us. I want to know what is in this for me. I want to know how we're going to meet our bills, why we can't give to that or do to that. We've got to take care of number one. This was definitely not the church at Antioch. I haven't read it yet, but I want to. Elliot Clark has written a book. He's a missionary in Central Asia, unknown place among mostly Muslims. And he's, he's written a book called Evangelism as an Exile. Evangelism as an Exile. And in that, he says, what does evangelism look like once we see ourselves as exiles and sojourners? What does evangelism look like when we see ourselves as exiles and sojourners? That's what's happening in Acts. See, in Acts, they're just, they're just getting their feet on the ground. They're just getting to be a church. We got ethnic challenges, we got leadership challenges, we got theological challenges, and now we've got needs of churches all around us. What are we going to do? I say, let's just fold up and go home. And they, they say, no. It, it's no surprise to anybody in here that I love the book of Ezra. And I only bring it up at this point to think about the word exile. You see, if I'm already back home from Babylonian exile in Jerusalem, I'm thinking and feeling one way. But go with me on this, would you? Come on. If I'm back in Babylon and Cyrus, king of Persia, said, go on home, and I got my suitcase out and I'm putting stuff in it and, and I'm collecting whatever I think I can carry on the way or loading the wagon. My neighbor next to me is loading his wagon. My neighbor on that side loading up all the things that they've got and we're kind of all packing up together. 
because we've been exiles, but now we're going home. I think differently. I think differently. And when I look at the church at Antioch and these challenges, they're, they're existing, like Clark says, as evangelists who know what feels like to be sojourners, to be exiles, to be people not home yet. And we don't. We don't. Oh, we say we do. Oh, I'm not home yet. I'm going there. But then we turn around and we spend 95% of our time, money, and effort in making things comfortable here. If we were packing up and if we were acting like we were packing up, then somebody next to me would get a little excited about, hey, he's packing up, I'm packing up, you're packing up, and we're getting ready to go on this journey together. We would be different evangelists. The church at Antioch was outward-focused. And then I'll finish up. Got another 14 illustrations, but I'm not going to give them to you. Let me just... The church at Antioch persevered through struggles. Persevered through all kinds of struggles. It's quarter till, and we're going to do the Lord's Supper today, and we have a members meeting. So I'm going to do this, but I'm going over to Galatians... It's three sermons, and I'm only going to highlight. I'm going to Galatians chapter 2. Wow, Pastor Buzz. This Antioch church, man, they are stellar, aren't they? Why, they're fantastic. And then I get to chapter 2, verse 11 of Galatians. At the church in Antioch, but when Cephas, that's Peter, the apostle Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain people came from James, who was in Jerusalem, he was eating with the Gentiles, the people who were being preached to and added to. See, P Peter came up to the church in Antioch. They're sitting around having, a, having dinner on the grounds, just having a grand old time with each other. And, and then, oh, who's that coming through the door? Why, those are apostles coming from James. Jewish people, Jewish people from the church at Jerusalem. And what did Peter do? Uh, let me just back away from these people so I don't, you know. And Paul got in his face. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas... Oh, no, not Barnabas. Barnabas is the good guy. Barnabas is the guy full of the Holy Spirit. Oh, no. And they faced off about it. And folks, I just got to do this. They ended up going back to Jerusalem, the whole lot of them. And they went into the back room and they started talking about this issue. The same issue I started out with. How Jewish does a person have to be in order to be a Christian? Do they have to keep the law? Do they have to be circumcised? We've got to figure this out. And they came out and they said, not at all. For salvation is by grace through faith alone. And that's how Jewish people come to know the Lord, and that's how Gentile people come to know the Lord. 
And they wrangled with this theological issue and they wrestled with it, and it was real. There were people who were angry, folks. And what I'm trying to do to you here today is to say that this church was not different. Sometimes you may get angry about what goes on in the life of the church. And I have to finish by saying I'd love to read to you what Theodore Mopsutsia said, otherwise known as Teddy the Mop, or what Chrysostom said, or what Ignatius said about the church at Antioch. You see, because these historical figures came after this time in the 2nd, 3rd, and 4th century. And the church at Antioch was known as the church. Yea, it was known as the school that embraced the word of God, the historical, literal, grammatical word of God, unlike any other place in the Mediterranean world for the first two, three, and four, and five centuries of the church. Yeah, they had problems. They had theological issues. They had financial issues. They had all kinds of challenges. And the people stepped up. They gave themselves to the word of God. They gave themselves to the teachings of the apostles. And they were stalwart for hundreds of years to the church. Oh, that God would make this place that place. So we celebrate what they celebrated. They did what we're doing. Culturally a little bit different. But you've heard from me multiple times. And you think that it's just verbiage. But I tell you, I feel connected to those Cyrenians. I, I feel connected to those Antiochians. I think that they're part of that great cloud of witnesses. And if the Lord tarries, I'm going to join that cloud. And if he doesn't, I'll still join it. You feel connected like that. Oh, that we would be that kind of a church. If you're helping with the Lord's Supper today, would you please come forward?